I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio. Politicians and pundits love to talk about criminal justice reform. And important progress has and continues to be made to root out racism and bias in law enforcement and sentencing. But according to a group of former, longtime felons and drug addicts who have over 400 arrests between them and over 150 years of combined incarceration, true criminal justice reform begins with accountability. True accountability, they say, is the essence of true compassion. Founder of the Other Side Academy, best-selling author and behavioral influence strategist Joseph Grenny joins us. You are, I always say, you are the ultimate in behavioral scientist, influencer, and strategist. <laughs> and you, you've been part of an experience and an experiment relating to criminal justice and really helping people reform and change and get control of their lives and become positive members of society again with the Other Side Academy. And, and let's start with that. Tell us kind of the genesis, the origin of the Other Side Academy, what it's doing, why it's different, and uh, why we need to use it as a model to move things forward. Yeah, thank you, Boyd. And thank, thank you for this uh, always productive conversation. So the Other Side Academy started about five years ago. Today, it consists of about 100 students in Utah, 30 in a growing campus in Denver, Colorado, who have an average of 25 arrests per student. They come to us usually facing new crimes, they have new sentences outstanding, and they're given the option of coming to the Other Side Academy for a two and a half year minimum stay to try to change their life instead of serving that sentence. So if our current students on the corner of 700 East and 1st South in Salt Lake City served just the outstanding sentences, they'd be incarcerated for an additional 600 years, <laughs> costing the state about $30 million. But instead, those who complete the Other Side Academy, 88% of them go on to be drug-free, crime-free, and employed. So it's a remarkably effective way to solve one of the, the most insidious problems that we face as a society. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's too little available to those who need it most. Yeah, and it's so fascinating to me that uh, we do, we do kind of have this revolving door as it relates to criminal justice reform, where people are kind of coming in and out and in and out and addiction and uh, into therapy programs and out. But you, your approach is, is quite different. This isn't about sitting down and, uh, you know, working out your feelings with just a counselor or being incarcerated with a, an armed guard standing over you. It's a very different approach. Correct. It's a peer community. So it's based on a model that's been around for about 50 years called a therapeutic community model. And the idea here is that peers are the best and most potent source of influence for people whose real problem is not crime or drugs. Their real problem is behavior. Their real problem is learning to live life on life's terms. And our assumption is that if you want to learn to live in a healthy community, which is what we want for these people, 
the best way to do that is to practice living in a healthy community. So number one, they're responsible to support themselves. The students pay nothing to come. The government pays nothing for them to come. Instead, they have to support themselves. So they run world-class businesses like the Other Side Movers and the Other Side Thrift Boutique and the Other Side Builders. And, and they're, they're doing a phenomenal job running these organizations. As they do, their character weaknesses get exposed. And that's where the peers step in. The peers give them regular feedback to let them know what they need to work on and hold them accountable for the things they need to improve. And over the course of two and a half, three, four, sometimes five years, some will choose to stay. And they choose to stay. They learn to become a person that they have never met before. So this peer model of influence is remarkably effective, but there are certain kinds of conditions that make it more or less likely for them to succeed at the Other Side Academy. And that's what caused me to reach out to you for this conversation, Boyd. Yeah, it, it seems so interesting to me that the uh, that accountability piece, uh, often uh, the battle, at least in the political circles, tends to center around, you know, if you're soft on crime or tough on crime. Uh, and you're, you're taking it as a completely different model. Yeah, we are. Our assumption is that the best compassion that you can offer to our students, to people with a long criminal addiction background, is to give them an influence system that, that helps them to succeed. And that doesn't always mean being soft on them. In fact, uh, the 25 colleagues I now have, people that graduated from the Other Side Academy that now help run our campus, would tell you absolutely clearly, unequivocally, that the best thing that happened to them was being arrested by the right officers and put in front of the right judge that would hold them strictly accountable for what they had done, that that gave them the precondition for changing their lives. Oh, and I, and I think that's such a, uh, an interesting thing because so often we, we, you know, we talk a lot about the compassion component and, uh, and obviously we want to make sure we're doing things according to the law, but we do have to recognize that rule of law and compassion are actually compatible principles. And part of that compassion does include, as you said, the accountability. Yeah, it certainly does. So, you know, what, what happens every day in, uh, in Utah as well as states around the U.S. is people with long criminal histories will stand in front of judges and will say, please, judge, instead of sending me to prison for five years, can I go to a program? Now, criminal justice reform was supposed to be about offering those sorts of alternatives, but offered the wrong way. We're actually destroying lives rather than helping people change their lives. And that's what we're doing far too often. First of all, we're sending people to programs that are far too short to actually create any real change. If you've been committing mayhem out in society for 20 or 30 years, it seems ludicrous on the face of it to send somebody to a 30 or 60 day program and expect that's going to make any real difference. But we do it over and over and over again. So one thing that's different about the Other Side Academy is people have a chance to stay long enough to really have to confront the problems that get in the way of their succeeding in life. They stay for a couple of years which is really kind of a down payment on the rest of your life when you think about how long they've been at the, uh, the, the crime game before. So, so part one of creating a, a system that actually works is ensuring the solutions that we're offering as an alternative to incarceration are serious, and they, they actually are the size of the problem. Mm, that's so, so important. One of the things I want to ask you to before we, we take it the next step forward is, you know, often we we see that when we do send someone to prison, we actually just send them there to, to learn how to be a better criminal. <laughs> uh, and so they develop those skills and they reinforce that behavior. Uh, one of the things that you've shared with me in the past is this idea that uh, when someone is uh, addicted or on the street or in the gang, uh, they often miss a lot of those important life skills, both actual skills and those softer skills, character skills. Tell us just a little bit of how you uh, incorporate that into this program. 
Yeah, if, if you think about it, it, it's almost insane that we take a first-time offender and surround them by even more seasoned offenders and then act shocked and offended when they come out of that incarceration better at crime than they were. They learn about more ways of committing crimes. They sit and ruminate about all the times they got high in the past. This is what's happening in jail. So they're in a peer community that creates the very behavior that they, you and I wish that they wouldn't adopt and commit to more deeply. At the Other Side Academy, the opposite happens. They're surrounded by a group of peers who have lived that life, but now have moved beyond it. People who recognize the deficits they have. I have in front of me a uh, an op-ed uh, penned by uh, your many of your students there who have gone through this process, uh, who are really begging uh, lawmakers in particular to get to that real form of compassion, that accountability because as they say, uh, if you're just sending us to uh, to rehab, you're just uh, hurting more people. The recidivism is going to be so high uh, and that things just continue in that downward cycle. Uh, what is it that they're learning that enables them to say, OK, there, there is a better way. There is a better, better model. Yeah, here, here's what they would say needs to happen around criminal justice reform. First of all, they would tell you, and they do in this op-ed piece, that criminal addicts must be given sentences proportionate to the crimes they commit. There's something a whole lot of us in the privileged class like to say to each other these days. They say, we, we, we like to say, don't, don't incarcerate addicts, that, that if the problem is addiction, you shouldn't incarcerate them. Well, what our students will tell you is, don't incarcerate me because I'm an addict. Incarcerate me because I'm a criminal. If I break into your house, if I steal from your car, if I take your checkbook and go to identity fraud, punish me for that. If we don't hold them accountable for what they do in harming other people, we never give them the opportunity to change. It is almost never the case that somebody that's been a longtime meth or heroin addict just gets up one day and says, gee, I'd like to change my life. The path to change always happens when the pain of changing becomes less than the pain of staying the same. That's... becomes more than, uh, yeah, less than the pain of staying the same. And so when, when that mathematics works out, when that arithmetic works, when we escalate the pain, when I'm facing enough of a sentence and a long enough incarceration, I've lost everything I have again, I've burnt every bridge, that's when they have the opportunity to change. And the more we lengthen that process and rob them of accountability for the consequences for things they've committed, the longer it takes them to change. And sometimes they die first. Mm. And we're, we're co-conspirators in that death when it happens. Uh, I'm going to give this one to you, Joseph, <laughs> uh, because I think you can put it best. Uh, so people who've been listening uh, to us for about, they've heard inspired and inspiring things. What do you hope the therefore what moment is for those who are listening today? What do you hope they think differently? What do you hope they do differently as a result of listening to this podcast? Well, I, I think one of the, the greatest challenges for all of us in helping people change in our lives is accountability. It's letting people know how they affect us. It's having tough conversations with them. It's, it's being honest. Uh, students often arrive at the Other Side Academy practically without a conscience. They've been harming people for so long that they don't even know how to feel about it anymore. What we know is the way you develop a conscience, the, ways you, the way you raise the, the, the social game of an entire society is for people to be honest with each other about how our actions affect one another. When we have those conversations honestly and candidly, one of two things happen. Either, either I change or I leave. You know, either I exile myself from society, which we rarely will want to do, or we start to care more about each other. We need to have these conversations. In this past year, as we've seen 
conversations we've attempted to have about how we affect each other around COVID or about around racial equity or around politics, a whole variety of things. We just aren't good at listening to each other or talking to each other. And so this notion of accountability begins with honest conversations and it ends with which with legislative change as well. But we can change the world if we learn to talk more honestly and more respectfully with one another. Mm -hmm. Joseph Grenny, founder of The Other Side Academy, uh, so grateful to have you here today. And we will just remind everyone that true criminal justice reform begins with accountability. True accountability is the essence of true compassion. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.